0: Very few people know about, right? Which is, I was actually a professional chef, right, for 10 years after the UFC.
1: I thought about that. I just had one guy on as a boxer. Did you? Yeah. He, he a real
0: boxer or, a, or an amateur old guy like me who's uh, Not who's an amateur still doing old guy. A younger
1: guy. I think he's 25. He boxed, but I think he stopped now. He was on, and he teaches here. There's a little class here, he teaches boxing.
0: You're not talking about Cobra Sua. Cobra Sua, Or yeah. Lerner, my, who's Michael, also now a member here. Michael Michael Lerner. Cobra
1: Sua. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's okay. right. he's,
0: a, he's a good friend of mine. He actually was one of my trainers for executive That's fighting. That's
1: right, right. He said some things that really made me feel very, very good about boxing that I hadn't thought of. He said, it's about not getting hit. Yeah. Not the other guy wear himself out, but don't get hit learn to be evasive stay away from them stay away stay away and i said that makes sense because the great boxers have done that meriwether muhammad ali they were difficult to hit but some yes. of the other people like Smoking and joseph just came in didn't care if you hit them or tyson yeah. they were about hitting you they, they went on the attack all the time right so it wasn't so much boxing as it was just let me take this guy out that's right it's hit
0: and don't get hit right is the the mantra of all the great boxers that's right don't you think so but don't don't get hit hit and don't get hit
1: that's right that's Um, right
0: on the other hand that's it's easy to say it's very very hard to do and and actually from a fan's perspective if you had to choose between watching two very offensively minded boxers Mm -hmm. or two more defensively minded boxers i would take the offensively minded Boxers any well, with, day, any any day of the week just in terms of watchability from a fan's perspective, well, of course, because right? Because, because it's more
1: entertaining. Because yes. it's more
0: entertaining. It's more, what, it's, more, it's more fun to watch. Um, you know, I, I would challenge you to name three or four even Mayweather fights, who's arguably one of the greatest in history, that were actually enjoyable to watch, and I can't think of that. I can't think of that many. Right. So right. so and he's known for his defense and is awfully evasive and you couldn't touch him. On the other hand, you fell asleep during his fights, right? Okay. So, so at, least, at least as a fan, I, I fell asleep it. during his fights. So I'd rather watch a Pacquiao fight any
1: day. So. <laughs> I have to tell you, the person that I'm lucky enough to have right now, you just heard us talking together, is Eric. He's been in Japan for five years now. He works for EY. And he is um, an interesting guy. He, he, he's decided to really put his feet down in this country. And his fist in other people's faces. <laughs> so, so <laughs> without any further ado, let's talk with Eric. Eric, I'm so happy you're here this morning. Right? It Thank really, you. it really pleases me because actually we met in this room. We did
0: meet in this room because I was doing a little bit of work over there, and I right. think uh, you were working as well. And. You may have overheard to be talking to some colleagues about uh, executive fight night and getting ready for executive fight and night, and I, then yeah. it was after that that you said, "Hey, that sounds kind of interesting. Why don't you come on my podcast?"
1: Now I know where you're born, but you should tell everyone where you were born. Should
0: I'm from the U.S. Really? I was uh, I was actually born in New York City mm-hmm. in Manhattan, okay. uh, 34th Street, and grew up in Manhattan, kind of Middle East side near the near the U.N. So I spent the first 18, 20 years of my life in New York City, city boy during the you know late 60s, early, early 70s, and then into the, and then into the 80s. Um, I went to school in Chicago, right, for, for college. That's right. Um, took a year to uh, travel in Europe while I was still in college, so I spent a year in, a year in Paris.
1: Now let's go, before you go into all of that, okay. how many siblings do you have? Uh,
0: I have one younger sibling, Mark Almadronis, who's back in New York now, but he's also himself kind of a world traveler. And, and How many years difference? Uh, a little less than two like uh, oh, so you guys are very close we're very we're very very close is
1: he married as well
0: he's married as well he's uh, married and uh, he was in the Philippines for a number of years and uh, met a Filipino woman and they've been married for eight to ten years now
1: no wanted to ask you because I'm looking at your ethnicity and I was trying mm. to think because people would look at you and they would think now Filipinos will know mm. and since you said that just now I can mm. see it mm. but I was thinking American Indian okay you probably get that you might get a little Hispanic yeah. Right? Because Filipinos have had every country in the world try to come there, it seems like. Yeah. Are you Filipino?
0: But Yes. I, if you see my last name, which is Almadronas, it's a Spanish last name, right? And so if you, and if you if say you it with a Spanish, Spanish accent, right, it sounds, oh, he must be from somewhere in Spain or s- somehow Latin, Latin American. Uh, but no, my father fr- was born in the Philippines, uh, grew up and went to college in the Philippines and then emigrated to the U.S. in 1964. And my and he married my mother. Um, subsequently, a few years later, and she's an American from Northeast, from New Jersey. Right, so it's a little bit of a combination of, uh, okay. you know, uh, she's Caucasian. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a café con leche combination, if you will. Right? So
1: how's your how's your family? I mean, how are your mother and father doing now?
0: My mother's doing great. She's uh, she's living the living the retired life in Florida. She's enjoying her retirement, um, and uh, you know, after having a long, long career in. Uh, nursing and nursing research at um, Sloan Kettering Cancer Hospital in New York. Uh, my father unfortunately passed away five or si- five or six years ago, uh, and so uh, so he's no longer with us. How old is he when he passed he away? Was he was about 76 years old, 76 but, 76 years but they stayed old. together the whole time? Uh, they, they separated kind of late in their, late in their marriage, so it was, I think after 25, 26 years that they separated.
1: Okay, so you were you at home when that happened? No, I was I was,
0: I was grown up and oh. long gone oh. by then. So, oh. um, but no, I mean uh, we had I had a good relationship with uh, you know with both of them, both my father and my mm-hmm. and my mother. And because they were still there close. while you were growing up, your most oh, of I-
1: most important years of your life. When of you're course,
0: yes, yes, yes. They they were around and uh, got us both through college. My brother and I. Uh, and then split up subsequent to that,
1: so, okay. so yeah. So after Cornell, when you mm. went to Cornell, what did mm. you do after that? Did you start working right away?
0: So actually, I my undergraduate career was at University of Chicago, Right. right. so I was at U of C. Um, and then after that, say I took what I would call a 10-year Ish career detour into something that very <laughs> few people know about, right? Which is, I was actually a professional chef for ten years uh, after the UFC. So,
1: no, wait, 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 what, what caused you to do that when you were growing up? Just to know a little bit more uh, more mm. about your mm. youth. Yes. Were you more academic or were you more sports minded as a kid? I was more uh, I was more
0: academic than sports minded, but I would not rate myself particularly highly on the academic side. I mean, I did well. Um, however, I didn't uh, necessarily always apply myself in the way that my parents would have liked it. Okay, liked what were the do. subjects
1: that you were most interested in?
0: I was most interested in uh, um, social sci- social sciences. So I, uh, you know, I, I had enough credits to, to graduate with a degree in French literature. I could have gone the history route, which is what I did. Uh, political politi- political science, uh, anthropology. So basically, all of the subjects that have no real-world application right you know <laughs> <laughs> and not many and not many necessary job prospects you know a- afterwards Or the such a subject I at, that I did in school but I was always a pretty good um, writer right which language writer but, but
1: right. growing up Eric were you talking with your dad a lot or was it your mom did, the people that guided you were sure it, was the consul's I mean, I'm sure. sure your peer did as well sure sure sure
0: uh, I'd say that uh, my father was probably the the dominant guider and inspiration in some ways from him because he was a guy who came over from the Philippines um, he got a, a scholarship to Wharton to University of Pennsylvania to go to his MBA to go to his MBA there and so you know he came over to the US you know was, was really successful in the US uh, and he um, like many Asians emigrating to the US just had a huge emphasis on education and recognized the importance of a good education and the right schools and and those sorts of things and Uh, If it weren't for him, I don't know that I would have moved in the direction that I did from an education. What did he do? What kind of work did he do? He worked for CBS, so he was in finance. CBS, the broadcasting company. So you know, he was around during the uh, the Walter Cronkite days of uh, of CBS, and worked over on Fifty Seventh Street on the west uh, on the west side where CBS was located at the time. Uh, And I think he had a stint also working for. Uh, Columbia, right? Because CBS also had a uh, various record labels as well. The Columbia record label, right? So I know I know that he did finance there as well. Uh, but the career that he ultimately uh, went down was he actually uh, left CBS, still in a in a relatively young age and of all things, uh, opened up a, a limousine service in New York City, right? So, um, you know, he had just this fleet of limousines, right, and uh, that we kept in Long Island City in Queens, and he had a, a, a limousine service and catered to, you know, obviously a lot of both
1: but, but corporates well, and... Did he speak more than one language? Did he speak Tagalog?
0: He spe- of course he spoke Tagalog. Did and he, he spoke, uh, he spoke the King's English is what I, is, is the way okay. I describe it, right? So his English was really, um, almost too perfect, like stilted stilted perfect, right, is the way I'd put it. So
1: he had two languages under his belt. He had two languages,
0: and because he grew up in the Philippines and his parents spoke Spanish, uh, he also had a pretty good understanding of Spanish, Spanish. as well, though he didn't speak. He didn't speak a whole lot of Spanish.
1: In his limousine service, how many people did he have working with him? Do you know? If he had probably, a at
0: probably at its biggest point, he had thirty to forty people. Were they you Filipinos? Know, uh, uh, all, di- all different. All different. You know, okay, so he didn't have any. All, di- all different. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of Filipinos, but there were also Egyptians, and Egyptians Africans, else, and, right. you know, uh, uh, lat- Latinos. So there were a lot of people that work for uh, that work okay. for him.
1: And he decided to. Start. So he had that as his main at one time.
0: That was his main livelihood.
1: After CBS.
0: Uh, after CBS, and it always, again, it always surprised me, is from a career perspective. But he did, he did well for himself, and it allowed him to be really, uh, obviously independent and self-sufficient and own boss and all those things. Uh, How old were
1: you doing this time? How old were you doing that time?
0: Uh, I was, I was young. I was, uh, I was still in grammar school. So you know, they, uh, my dad would arrange for. My brother and me to be taken to school in a limousine every day. So all they of my all nice. all of my classmates and this was we went to a school on 84th and Park Avenue, which is a really <laughs> nice part of a uh, really par- nice part of Manhattan. So all of my uh, school kids thought that.
1: This guy must be loaded. This guy uh, must be loaded. This guy must be loaded,
0: right? He's really. He's, but well, did fact, they?
1: Did the drivers get out and say, "Okay, Eric"? And what's your no, brother's name? My brother's name was Mark. But okay, no, so we,
0: we almost <laughs> made a point of no. Can you drop us off just over here a little bit because we, we don't want we don't want to. They find out, come on. But, but people would see it and had the mistaken impression that, that I that you we belonged to a certain milieu that we weren't really a part oh, right, of, okay. right? Was your
1: mom working as well during this time?
0: My mother was working as well. she was um, she was originally a, um oncology nurse for for Sloan Kettering Hospital in in New York um, and then went on to get a, a master's in public policy and a master's and she had a couple of master's degrees. I know one was in public policy from from Columbia, but she ultimately turned into a uh, kind of oncology nursing uh, researcher and specialist and so, She was. uh, She was in some ways the one who gave me a lot of um, uh, thinking about public speaking research. She was oftentimes invited to conferences. So she she had
1: to lecture. She had had
0: to lecture. She wrote books. She just had a lot of uh, uh, exposure to. Sharing her work more now publicly. What, what age right.
1: was this when you were starting to be influenced by your mother?
0: Ah, uh, this is probably you know late, late you know seventh grade eighth grade okay. and then and then dur- and then during high school Was she ever know. do
1: any of these practice? Was she practice sometimes in front of you have you guys sit down you and mark and uh, She wouldn't necessarily practice it what
0: I, what I remember very distinctly though was I mean She was still working full-time, you know at the, at the, the time, but I would remember on the weekends I would see her in her in her office on her little glass desk, writing up papers, doing term papers, doing research for her uh, for her presentations, and getting and getting ready for those things. Uh, it, what does it mean? It means I probably ate a little more pizza, right? And uh, but I was going to ask right? you that. I
1: was going to ask you. Did you learn to cook because of that, or did your father cook sometimes? My did you?
0: my my mother and father were both were both great cooks. Okay, they're, so that's what I'm saying. They're, so they're both, so, both so great they,
1: cooks. did they make sure their sons? learned some of the culinary skills just in case they got I don't busy th-
0: i don't think that it was uh, i don't think that it was anything necessarily intentional on on their part but uh but for sure it rubbed off on uh, on both my brother and me you know on
1: did you have a favorite like when dad cooked or mom cooked it, and say, I, I like it better when dad makes this or mom makes.
0: you know my mother despite being american she made great philippine food she wanted right? to make sure
1: she kept your dad she, she, Wait, just she, she made she
0: made great philippine food she and did. all of my filipino aunts actually such as would,
1: such as name something uh
0: there's a dish called Dinuguan, right diniguan. which many people would not like because it just doesn't look appetizing it's made with pork and tomatoes and vinegar um, kind of hot peppers and then pig's blood right and so the result is this really almost a really thick stew with a really dark brown, almost black color, right? okay. you know, and it's okay. and honestly, you look at it and you say, "This doesn't look appetizing, it right?" You, you, but it, it is, but it is delicious, right? <laughs> you know, and I could I could easily uh, eat dinuguan once or twice a week Diniguan. if it were avi- if it were available to me. So,
1: so it your father, your father had to have taught her how to do this. That
0: was my my. Father's mother, oh, right, so you, my my grandmother. Well, she right, lived with you. She would come over and you know she would sp- we, she would spend time with us. But it was actually my grandmother's recipe that she taught my mother how to make, and my mother in turn made her own tweaks to it. And as I say, all of my Filipino aunts. Uh, we're always bugging my mom Lois. Please tell me what's your recipe for this because this is delicious We don't know how to make we don't know we don't know how to make it as, as well as you do So she was actually a really good uh, Philippine cook okay. um, and my dad I think uh, Was similarly good, but you know, he was more of a let me let me grill the meat Let me let me boil Let me boil the lobsters, right? Let me um, you know make um, There's something a uh, Philippine called food called pancit, which is like a noodles, right, uh, which he was quite good at but no, they were both really—they were both really good cooks. Uh, probably in my dad's case, uh, he was a better eater, right, than he was as a chef, and uh, a very, very slow eater. So it wasn't uncommon to see him sitting at the dinner table, honestly, for an hour and a half. You know, everybody else it, it, is gone. Everybody else is gone, but he was still on his like sixth crab, right? Like pick it, picking apart a crab methodically, right, and, uh, and going through it. So no, his uh, his specialty was eating, right, more so than cooking, I think.
1: That's beautiful. That is so nice. I like. <laughs> I like that. So you and Mark, would you guys get together and, and have cook-offs? Because you're uh, so close in age, that means you guys had to grow close. You had some of the same friends. We we had, we. You had, had, did we had, you have each other's back too?
0: Had each other's back. My brother Mark uh, never needed any protection, right? <laughs> like so, he he just. Did he, you? Did I need protection? No, I didn't. I didn't really need. I didn't really need protection either. But uh, but my brother Mark is a. A natural, a natural diplomat, a natural leader, and a natural—he uh, just always had a maturity about him that always navigated him away from any sort of uh, any sort of trouble, right? And so, uh, so he he was never the guy that needed protection. But of course, we had each other's backs. Um, you, and know, you, you had cook-offs, or did you guys? Did we have, did we have cook-offs? I wouldn't. So, I would. Okay, I, I, sa- I could
1: see you two in the kitchen mm, saying, "Okay, let's I make would, this today." And
0: I would. Say, whenever there was a special occasion, sometimes now that I think about it, it was more my responsibility, right, to make the cake for mom, right, or to make the cake for dad, mm-hmm. and, and then then he would go and do something else. So, uh, so we had a we had a division of labor in terms of what we in terms of what we did. But he mm-hmm. himself is. Uh, very, very himself, an accomplished, an accomplished chef, and actually, the woman that he married is an actual, is an actual chef. So there's a lot of, kind of food elements, right? That Which run, takes that, us that back run, to when run, you through, took your run, hiatus. Through. During my summers during college, during college, I did a couple of things. One, I was, uh, I tried to be a commercial fisherman. My parents had a house in Eastern Long Island, out near Montauk in East Hampton, and I had a friend who had a boat. And at the time, and even today. Cost of tuna and prices of tuna were really really high of course So me and my friend who had the boat would oftentimes go out had a few really good nights of catching 18 20 tunas You know with you know kind of traditional you know big uh, big big tackle and then sell the tuna You know to local restaurants and to brokers and dealers some of which you know ultimately made its way back to Japan That was one job that we did for a while Uh, But then my other job when I wasn't doing that or I wasn't making enough money doing that was was cooking so you might know of a chef who's really famous now, but her name is Ina Garten, the Barefoot Contessa, right? You can't miss any of her cookbooks because she's all over, you know, the Food Channel and, you know, E-Network. And this the, is and New York. The, she owned a shop uh, in East Hampton, New York, and that was probably my first exposure to kind of a, 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 at least a certain type of cooking, but I was actually one of her bakers and pastry chefs, and I would be making bread and chocolate cakes and different sorts of pies and, you know, pies for Thanksgiving. and. Uh, How would I describe her cuisine? I would describe it as uh, easy, approachable, light, summer American, right? That's what I would call it. So, uh, you know, she was kind of a a successor in some ways to Martha Stewart, right? But, you know, her big thing was on entertainment, right? And, you know, uh, entertaining guests and uh, how to... Put together a meal and an ambiance for a meal, right? Such that it was festive and people relaxed and had a good and had a good oh. time. But because it was East Hampton, which is kind of a more of a summer community, you know, that at least the things I associate with her are more summery, more light, right? More for entertaining. And you know, when you get you know twelve people together, how do you take care of them in a way that? Uh, doesn't mean you have to be spending and slaving in the kitchen, right? While you're trying to take care of your guests,
1: right? Mm-hmm. So, so, wow. yeah. so after that, after your cooking,
0: That was in between college and right. uh, college and grad school. So right. really, for, for ten years, I was cooking, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, I did that. In did uh, you enjoy New York. it? Uh, I did. I did. I had a I had a knack for it, and it's probably a career that uh, I could have, you know, gone on and continued to do. Uh, but in the end. Uh, my son was born. I was actually living in Montana, near Bozeman, Montana. So you were already married then? I was, I was already, already married.
1: Right. So after you finished college, yep. did you get married right away? No, no, no. I
0: moved to San Francisco, where I also was cooking in San Francisco. So after- With the
1: same woman?
0: I, I left Ina Garten and the Barefoot Contessa. And I worked for another uh, really good chef named Joyce Goldstein. Who but you got
1: married just before you, did you just say? No, no, no.
0: I met my wife in San Francisco. So you went,
1: what made you decide to go to the West Coast, from the East Coast? I
0: think that probably the biggest motivation was my three, col- a couple of college roommates from University of Chicago were out on the West Coast, one working for uh, University of San Francisco as a researcher, I think another doing journalism. And then I wanted to join them and hang out with my roommates again from college. So and they so were sending
1: you letters and stuff saying, "Hey man, you you're,
0: should, you're missing you, out. You, you should you should come out to San Francisco." Right? Right. So so yeah, so it was a good. Uh, uh, that was really all I needed to uh, you know to to get out there. So I lived in San Francisco for four years, where I met my wife and where I also kind of continued on the uh, kind of culinary journey that I had started in New York.
1: And okay. And then after that, then you decided to go back to school. Uh,
0: and then after after my culinary journey was over, this is now ten years post co- ten years post college with a six year stint in Montana uh, mixed it mixed into that. Then I went back to graduate school and got my MBA and uh, completely you know changed changed courses from a career perspective.
1: What made you decide to do that?
0: So I had a son, right? And uh, was and, your you know, wife working? My wife was working. Uh, and she worked as I, as I went to, as I went to graduate school as well but no. but I had a son we loved it. we loved Montana. I could go back there I hope to retire there at, so, at some point or at least spend a few months a year uh, but uh, it was time you know it was, it was finally time to say okay I've, I've, ha- I've kind of had my fun. <laughs> I was able to do a lot of skiing. I was able to do a lot of fly fishing I was able to do a lot of things that I enjoyed doing. Really? Now I've got a, now I've got a family I've got to take care of them and I've got to put this, uh, but put this you get education would
1: you get that outdoor? feel from being you in New York so I'm assuming you're more city than you were country
0: uh, yeah was I, grew, I grew up I grew up in the city and was really used right. to you really used to Manhattan and big city big okay. city environments on on the other hand I would say that uh, uh, even in even in New York I was always uh, either attracted by the beach or attracted by uh, something that was not that was not urban right I so see. whenever I had a chance to get out to the beach or get out to Long Island or, you know, get to someplace outside of the, outside of the city, I would typically take it. So I always had a little bit of a a get out of the city feeling. And I guess too, if you grew up in New York City uh, in particular, there's a certain, there, at least there can be a certain insularity about New York, New York City and New Yorkers, right? Which basically says, well, this, the New York is the universe, right? And it's the only universe that, you know, I really, I really need. Uh, and Did you uh, have that? Did you I, have that? I, there was a t- there was mm. a time, uh, wh- and I still believe that New York is uh, the, one of the best cities uh, cities in the world. Uh, but I had always also recognized that there were a lot of other places in the world that uh, certainly deserved uh, attention, and that I'd like to see, like like where we are now in
1: Tokyo. So really now true. you finish, you come back, you get your MBA. Yeah, in political science. I got my well, I my undergraduate Didn't degrees you? in political science. Oh, I got, I got my
0: I got my MBA with a focus on of all things uh, statistics and operations statistics. research and a lot of quantitative stuff. Right?
1: Okay, and then when did you get to your job? I mean, then did you start with UI uh, right away? R-
0: right out of a, right out of graduate school, uh, I went into consulting. So I worked for a a, a, a boutique uh, boutique consulting shop based in Florida, based just outside of, just outside of Tampa. Uh, that actually was doing consulting for um, big restaurant companies, right? So actually, there was a there was a connection because I had spent the last ten years in restaurants and cooking and food and beverage, and so I knew and I knew that world and that universe quite well. But this company was doing um, uh, pricing pricing research and pricing uh, recommendations at the time for maybe half of the largest. Uh, U.S. restaurant chains in, in North America. So, you know, if I were to name them, you'd know a lot of the a lot of the client ba- a lot of the client base, but they were using uh, and we were using analytic methodologies and analytic techniques like elasticities and cross elasticities and this and that to be able to give pricing recommendations to restaurant companies for this burger should be priced this way, this fountain beverage should be priced this way, here should be the relationship in between your burger and your combo price. Would this uh, require
1: you to give many um, presentations? Of course. You had to do, so you had to do all this presentation, so what your mother told you to do came into yes, use. Yes, yeah, yes. You really needed yeah,
0: that. You really, you really needed So, yes, I mean, the. the uh, Was the company
1: teaching you how to do this, or did they expect you to learn as you, you know, on the job training?
0: I I think it's, I think a lot of it is both on the job training and then, uh, and then uh, seeing. Uh, I had some senior colleagues at the firm that I work with who I noticed how they did their work. I noticed how they uh, interacted with clients. I noticed how they, you know, answered questions um, and learned a lot from uh, how many of the co- my colleagues who were a little bit more senior to me uh, did and managed that and learned a lot from that as well. So what about,
1: okay, now going in, there's butterflies and, and just being in front of other people. Mm. I've heard before that. The average person out there, I've heard a couple of things. One is the average person out there would rather die, face death, than to stand in front of people and speak. And one other thing I've heard is that when you're speaking, mm. everyone else out there watching you is just happy that it's not them.
0: Mm. That's yeah. another way to look at it. I, I, yeah, uh, and it, yeah, there are a lot of people for whom public speaking and doing public speaking is a is a real. Uh, so how was it, it for it, you? Uh, you know, in. As I was coming out of my initial <laughs> cooking career and into graduate school where there was a lot of teamwork and a lot of presentations, uh, it took me a little while to get used to it, right? Uh, however, once I kind of finished grad school and started, and started doing it, uh, I very rarely felt fear or trepidation or nervousness about doing it. You know, it's- uh,
1: Okay, give I, us your secret. What, what do you tell yourself when you're going out there to speak with people? Because it is, especially when it's possible sell or not a sell mm. because of what you have to say. Which could affect you in one way or another. Well, the and how large are these groups you're talking to?
0: It could be anywhere from you know a, a meeting of senior executives of you know a dozen to two dozen people, right? You know, which would be a kind of medium to average size meeting, or it could be giving a, a presentation on uh, pricing and restaurants and food and beverage for a few hundred people in an, aud- an auditorium or, or, or something or something greater, right? So. Uh, it, it all just depended on the context and i've done you know i've done i've done i guess i've done them all you know what, what's the is there any secret to it uh, the first thing is know know your subject right <laughs> you know and if you know your if you know your subject and you're really really good at your subject then everything else goes uh, what about every, your audience? Every, every, everything everything goes everything else goes much uh, much easier and then, of course, knowing your, knowing your, knowing your audience, right, is uh, as important, perhaps, as, no, as knowing your subject. Um, and I guess the way that I think about public presentations and a lot of public speaking is um, you've got to be able to explain things such that your mother or your grandmother, who may not know anything about the subject that you're describing, would be able to listen to it, hear it, and say, I get, I get that, right? And if you've been able to do that, especially for larger groups of people, um, then, uh, then you've done your job, right? So uh, it's a combination of both knowing your, su- knowing your subject matter, then obviously knowing your audience, and then having the, I don't know, both confidence and facility with words to be able to simplify very, very difficult concepts and make them uh, relatable, right, to people who aren't necessarily deep in these sorts of subjects, so.
1: Eric, tell me one time when you were speaking, when you felt like you knocked it out of the park. It could be small or
0: big group. One of my clients was a large uh, cosmetics and beauty company that was headquartered out of, uh, out of New York City uh, on, on Central Park West. And I was invited to speak at a board meeting. And at the time, we were presenting uh, our forecast for the beauty industry right for the, for the next three to five years. Um, and the forecast itself was actually kind of um, challenge, right? To, to be able to, to be able to come up with, uh, and our estimates were a lot higher than what the consensus estimates for where beauty would be in the future, right? And so, you know, people would say. Beauty's only been growing at three or four percent for the last, you know, ten years. How is it possible that you're saying it's going to grow at seven percent or eight percent or or nine percent? But we were confident in our numbers, right? And confident, at least in the confident, at least in the results. Um, and I, as you can imagine, I'm talking to a lot of beauty executives who know who have forgotten more about the industry than I'll than I'll ever know. Faced a fair amount of skepticism for it, but at a minimum, uh, I was proud of the fact that we. Um, were both cogent, persuasive, made, laid, laid, out the, laid out the argument for why we thought it was is uh, going to grow the way that it did, uh, and ultimately, um, and I didn't know this at the time, were proved right, right, you know, and so our our forecast, and you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen five years from now, right, um, but uh, but our forecast was remarkably uh, accurate and durable, right. So uh, so that was a, both a, a presentation and then a piece of work that I was. Uh, uh, that, I was particularly pr- that I was particularly proud of.
1: How old right? were you at that time? Do you remember your age?
0: Oh, gosh, uh, early, early early, 40s, late like 30s, something. You had, I had your son ago. already? I, uh, yeah, I had my son. On. And
1: what state, where, on. where were you? Where, what, what state were you on? Uh, in? At
0: that, at that time, I would have been living in Florida, but uh, as I recall, this presentation was in New York. Okay. Hmm. Uh,
1: so where do we find you today? I know you're with EY today. Mm. Are you enjoying your work?
0: I do. I my work at EY. Uh I enjoy the work that I'm doing and in, uh, uh, in, con- in consulting more broadly. This is a, just a kind of an exciting time to be doing uh, analytics and analytics related work, which is kind of the heritage of my career. Um, but you know, um, uh, we've been all been a part of this analytics revolution for the last 20 years, uh, where 20 years ago we were you know talking quite happily about, you know, correlation and you know simple regression models and you know how to use models for decision for, for decision making, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, to watch the evolution of anal- of what analytics was 20-ish years ago to generative AI today, right? Where it's obviously highly I don't know if you've used Chat GPT or other AI platforms, but it's highly uh, interactive, human feeling um, and these large language language models are giving you both content, right, and ideas in the same, w- in a similar way that uh, humans process and and, deli- and deliver information uh, is pretty uh, is earth shattering, right? Mm-hmm. In, so- in some ways, so so no, I'm very much enjoying uh, uh, that sort of work and how it kind of applies to uh, a lot of the clients that I work with today.
1: That is fantastic. Listen. Eric, before I end the podcast, there's a question i like to ask mm. all of the people I have on an episode. If you could magically go back in time mm. and meet the younger Eric mm. and give him advice, mm. how old would he be and what advice would you give him?
0: I would go back to the Eric in my early 40s who at the time was doing a lot of um, triathlons. Right? So I was doing a lot of triathlons like swim, bike, run, and uh, at the time, you know, it was easy for me to run 30 to 40 miles a week. And I was doing 30 to 40 miles a week just in training and getting in preparation for, the, for these triathlons. I would tell them to stop running. Right? And I'd say, hold off uh, on your running, save your knees, save your back, save your, save your, save your ankles. Um, you know, because as much as I enjoyed triathlon, as much as I enjoyed the running, the running at the time, you know, I'm now, you know, at, approaching... Uh, you know, 50, fifty-five. Uh, I'm still in good uh, in good health and good fitness, but there's certain things that I know were very much caused by running, right? And I wish I could go back and say, Eric, you know, give up the running and go do and go do something else and do something that's going to be a little bit easier on your body when you get older. So that's what that's 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 one that's one thing I'd say just from a pure fitness perspective. Uh, and maybe maybe the other thing I would, maybe the other thing I I would uh, um, I would might also uh, tell myself is I think maybe. I probably spent three to five more years longer in restaurants and food and beverage than I probably could or should have, right? So I think I probably would advise myself to have gone back to graduate school a few years sooner than I did. But uh, we make the decisions we make. Things are life. Life is good, and you know we're we're you know lucky enough to live in Tokyo and uh, have great, meaningful, rich lives here. So uh, so enough. So things have worked out pretty well.
1: Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you. It's, it's, great, it's great. It's
0: great. It's great to be here.
1: I wanna thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all unknown, so continue to reach for the stars.
0: Because you're too blessed to be stressed.